message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Thank you, Gennaro. Well, hello, hello, hello. Good morning. Good to see you. And I want to say hello to our Northwest campus and Tehachapi campus and everybody else tuning in in this uh, smoky Sunday. Good to see everybody. Uh, a teenage boy, he just passed his driving test, and he had inquired of his father as to when they might discuss the use of the car. And the father offered his son the following deal. He says, you bring your grades up from a C to a B average, study your Bible a little, and get a haircut, then we'll talk about the car. Well, the boy thought about it for a moment and decided he would settle for the offer, and they agreed on it. <clears throat> After about six weeks, his father said, son, he said, you've brought your grades up, and I've observed you've been studying your Bible a little bit more, but I'm disappointed that you haven't cut your hair. And the boy said, you know, Dad, he goes, I've been thinking about that, and I've noticed in my studies of the Bible that Samson had long hair, John the Baptist had long hair, and there's even evidence that Jesus had long hair. Uh, the dad, thinking quickly, said, And son, did you also notice that they all walked everywhere that they went? <laughs> well, this uh, illustrates a topic that I want to look into today, and that is a lot of Christians try to strike deals with God. For instance, uh, I did as a young Christian. You might remember the story I come from a party pass uh, when I was 21 years old. And man, I wanted God, but I wanted to party. And uh, it culminated one night as God had been dealing with me. And I uh, was high on, on marijuana, laying in bed saying, God, you know what? I've given up this, and I've given up this, and I've given up this. But, but uh, Lord, I, I just, I'm just going to smoke dope. And I would try to tell myself, if you didn't want me to smoke it, then how come you grew it? And I would, all those things that you say to justify sin. And I said, okay, I'm going to be, God, here's the deal. Uh, I gave this up, up. Uh, you're going to let me do this. So uh, I'm going to be a dope-smoking Christian. Let's shake on it, God. And God wouldn't shake on it. And he said, I want all of you, Doug. I want every bit of you, Doug. And so we try to strike deals with the Lord. Now, if you've been following along in the last couple of weeks uh, in our daily reading guide, we've been in Second Chronicles. And you may have noticed something there that uh, maybe you're unfamiliar with, the term high places. What were high places? Well, they were centers for Canaanite worship. When God... Uh, brought the people out of Egypt. He says, I've got a land for you. It's the land that's now currently occupied by a, a group of people called the Canaanites, and they were ungodly people. They were idolatrous people, and they had these worship centers sent up, and God, through Moses, warned them that when they went into the new land, do not adopt their practices. We see in Numbers chapter 33, beginning in verse 50, then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones. 
and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the larger you shall give more inheritance, and to the smaller you shall give less inheritance. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain them, uh, of them will become as pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land in which you live. As I plan to do to them, so I will do to you. Unfortunately, many of Israel's kings, including the great Solomon, succumb to the worshiping at these high place sites. Many Jews justified it by claiming they were worshiping Jehovah God at the high places. And there, yes, there, there is some murky middle ground. Prior to the temple being built, uh, we do see uh, even Samuel worshiping at these sites, not worshiping the Canaanite gods, but using it as a place to worship God. But it's very clear that once the temple was built in Jerusalem, they were to stop any sort of worship at these high places and make the trip down to Jerusalem, and that's where they were to worship and offer their sacrifices. What was the problem with these high places? Well, for God's people, they begin to mix a little bit of God, a little bit of idols, a little bit of Jehovah, a little bit of Baal. And it became this convoluted uh, worship. Now, they were tempting to strike a deal with God of saying, God, hey, we're not exactly, you know, idol worshipers, but we're also kind of just doing what the customs of the land uh, say to do. And Jesus warned against this in the New Testament. He says, hey, mixing the unholy and the holy uh, is just not a good idea. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In ancient Israel, if you've ever been on any of our trips to Israel, uh, most of the salt back in the days that, uh, of, of the Bible being written days, most of the salt came from the Dead Sea or commonly referred to as the Salt Sea very high salt content. And when the water would recede on the banks, you would get these big salt deposits, pure, uh, really good salt. Some of you might like that sea salt. Uh, I do. I like that big chunk of salt I pour on my food. And that's what it was. Now, if the salt accidentally got mixed with dirt, maybe a wind came up, maybe somebody walked across it and, and then tracked dirt onto the salt, it would become ingrained. And so you couldn't, you couldn't separate the dirt granules from the salt granules, and it was no good anymore. I mean, who would want to pour dirt on their food? And so you'd have to just throw it out. And they would use it basically like pavement, and they would just throw it out and just trample underfoot. Uh, it, was, it lost its usefulness. It lost its ability to flavor. It lost its ability to influence food. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that if you mix with the world, if you mix with ungodliness, uh, you mix light and darkness, you've lost your ability to influence. You've lost your flavor. You've lost your aroma. Now, they justified also 
worshiping at these high places because it was just convenient to stay home. Most of these high places started up in the northern part of Israel, and it was a couple of days' journey to go down to Jerusalem. And, and they would say, hey, you know what? <clears throat> I don't feel like traveling for two days. I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem, to the temple to offer sacrifices. Oh, man, that's just too much work. I've got to load the kids up and, and pack food. So let's just go to the high place here, and, and it's not that big of a deal. Now, today, as Christians, we don't construct wood or stone deities, but we definitely are tempted to be seduced by certain sins. Now, I want to talk about that today. Our cars have dashboard indicators to let us know when something is wrong and something needs attention. My dad referred to these as idiot lights. I'll, you know, check oil uh, when it come on. I want to give you four dashboard indicators to see if you have compromised with a sinful attitude or action. Number one, ask yourself this. Do I have a casual attitude about sin? Do I have a casual attitude about it? Uh, what am I talking about? Well, you might remember my past during that two-year period of after receiving the Lord in a dugout in professional baseball, wandered for two years. And as young Christians do, my thinking was kind of messed up and, and kind of uh, garbled. And there are certain things I would do, certain things I wouldn't do. For instance, uh, one year I uh, found out that as a professional baseball player, because I worked six months out of the year, I qualified for unemployment. So I could, I could have come home, back home here to Bakersfield, file for unemployment, and not had to work. And Vicki said, do it, do it. Now, she wasn't saved yet. Do it, do it. And I, for some reason, I said, I just didn't feel right. Now, remember, I'd received the Lord a year earlier but I was not living for the Lord. This didn't feel right. I said, no, I'm not going to take from that. That's wrong. You sinner, Vicky. Why would you want me to do that? I am not going to steal from the unemployment. I will not take their money. Oh, by the way, uh, give me that joint over there. I'm going to light up that joint right now. Okay, smoking dope. Okay, running around on her. But I would not. I draw the line there. I will not file for unemployment. You mix a little bit of the holy with the unholy. And, and that was my attitude back in the days. And we're so prone to have these sinful behaviors and attitudes while fervently resisting other sins. King Solomon flirted for years with temptation. He was told, do not marry these foreign gals. They'll turn your heart away. And he, he just didn't listen. And he married one, and then one led to another, and... And my gosh, by the end of his life, it says that he has 700 wives. Now, ladies, I don't want to offend you, but I don't know. I have a hard time living with my one wife. God bless her, and God bless her, you know, her for living with me. But 700? Oh, my goodness. 1 Kings 11.4, it finally came up and bit Solomon. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away from after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. It came up and bit him. He, he, he just kind of dangled, and he flirted with it, and eventually it got a hold of his heart, man. It turned his heart away from God. Why do we get casual about certain sins? Why do we compromise? What's, what's the mechanics behind it? Well, in my life, I've seen two things. One is, is I call it the frog in the kettle syndrome, where all of a sudden you, you get used to something. Maybe the first time you do it, it feels a little weird, 
The second time you do it, you probably know you shouldn't be doing it, but you didn't get hit by lightning bolt the first time you did it, so maybe God's not all that concerned about it. And eventually you just, like that frog in the kettle, they say, well, you put a frog in a pan of cold water and he'll gladly jump in there and you just slowly turn up the heat and he won't notice a difference and eventually he'll boil to death. Why? Because it's death by degrees. It's not this sudden heat. And sometimes we just uh, get so used to sin and, and everybody else is doing it and we just kind of just fall into that pattern. So that's one reason I think we get casual. I think the other one, and this is where I, I continually have to check myself, we grade our sins on the curve. On the curve. Well, you know what? <clears throat> yeah, I'm doing this, but you know what? I'm not doing this. And so, you know, kind of like in school, well, I didn't get 100%, but I got 95, so that's, that's kind of an A, isn't it? In other words, we deem some sins really bad, and we avoid others aren't that bad, and we kind of tolerate. Let me tell them myself. Here's what I'm talking about. When I come over on I-15 from Las Vegas, I rarely drive the posted speed limit. Now, if we're gonna be honest, let me just come completely clean. I never drive the posted speed limit. And how do I justify it? Everybody else is going fast. And so what do I do? I just kind of just find that sweet spot where everybody's kind of driving, and I always make sure one car's driving faster than me. You guys do the same thing? As long as one car is driving faster, the cops are going to get him. He's not going to get me. So I just make sure he's, he's you know, got one car. But, uh, but the problem with that is he may be going 100 miles an hour. As long as I'm going 95, I'm okay, right? I know that what I'm doing is wrong. You say, how do you know that? Because as soon as I see a cop, what do you do? You tap that brake, right? You hit that brake. Ooh, did he see me? And then you look in the rearview mirror. Oh, please don't turn around. Please don't turn around. Please don't turn those lights on. Why am I concerned if I'm not doing wrong? Well, I'm doing wrong. And so I, I've got to wrestle with that. If the officer pulled me over, I would have no excuse. I mean, I could tell him, well, hey, everybody was going fast. What'd you pick on me for? You could have picked 15 cars here. You know, why me? And, and he could have said, you know what? I don't care about the other 15 cars. All I know is you were doing 75 in a 65, or you were doing 80 in a 70. He said, you, you were breaking the law. Well, everybody said, I don't care about everybody else. I care about you. And my point is this, is that, that I have to wrestle through this thing. And I will say I'm backing off. Am I down the exact speed limit? No, but I'm getting closer, okay? I'm, I'm working my way back because I'm convicted from this message. And so you've you got to wrestle, and you've got to work those things out. Now, here's a second dashboard indicator. Have I given up on fighting certain sins? Have I just said, I'm just, I just can't whip them. I, I'm just done. I think many of the kings of Israel must have felt at the high places they were so ingrained in culture that they said it's useless to fight against it. <clears throat> it's been here before we got here. Uh, even God's people have adopted it. It is so accepted by culture. It's such a norm. It's, it's here. We can't, we can't change it. It's wrong, but nothing we can do about it. In fact, from Solomon, King Solomon to Hezekiah the king, there were 30 kings. Uh, eight, 12 were in Judah, 18 in Israel when the kingdom was divided. And all of them, uh, except Hezekiah, failed to take down the high places. But something about Hezekiah. Something 
inside of him says, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate this. This is not right. I'm, I'm going to make a stand here. And we, we read about that in Second Chronicles 29, uh, verse 5. Then he said, uh, this is Hezekiah speaking, Listen to me, O Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God. And they've forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling places of the Lord, and they've also turned their backs. They were bringing all this ungodly practice and items and images and uh, trinkets into God's temple. And they, they thought it was okay, and Hezekiah said, no, 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 this is not right. And he went in there, and they did a house cleaning. And he began to move the people back to the Lord one step at a time. As you read through that passage of Scripture there, it says that they went from room to room in the temple, and they, they cleaned out this room, and they scrubbed it down. They went to the next place, and they got rid of that, uh, rid of that and they just went around room to room. See, spiritual renewal and spiritual growth is putting one foot in front of the other. That, that's something that you need to understand. Young believers, uh, a lot of folks, especially when they, when they come out of prison, I've noticed, or they come out of a drug lifestyle, and they've got so many years of just, just wreckage and wasted years, and they, they know that they were wasted years, and they try to make up for those wasted years like in two weeks. I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to be a pastor, and I'm going to be restored with my family, and they try to do all that. In two weeks, I said, no, no, no. Then when nothing happened, they get frustrated. God's not with me. And so I said, no, just one step at a time. Just wake up and, and do the right thing today and then go to bed and close your eyes and get some sleep and wake up and eat some breakfast. Uh, get in the shower, put your clothes on, uh, go out, go to work, do what you're supposed to do that day, come home, eat some dinner, go to bed, and just one foot after another. And then eventually things begin to fall in place. You, don't even, you won't even realize it because it's kind of happening gradually. And Hezekiah said, we're going to take this thing one step at a time. Very often, and this is important for us to know, as we make commitments and as we are walking with the Lord, Oftentimes, it's three steps forward and two steps back. What do you mean? I mean, you can be a, a, just a committed Christian and just really wanting to, to walk with the Lord, but because you're human, because you still have flesh, because we're in a world system that is, that is controlled by Satan and it's just going to dangle itself all the time and we've got spirits that are constantly whispering stuff in our ears, you're going to stumble. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say some stuff you shouldn't say to your spouse and to your boss and to your kids and you're going to find yourself going back to that sin that you left and what am I doing? And, and I, don't be like blown away when that happens. Now, I'm not saying accept it. Absolutely don't accept it. But when you do sin, confess your sin. Say, God, this is wrong. I know it's wrong. I'm sorry. And God, I don't want this anymore. And then make restitution. If you've offended somebody or hurt somebody, tell them you're sorry. And then get back on the horse and keep going. It's three steps forward and two steps back. Don't just quit. Don't just say, I've blown it. I've gone to it. No, just, just keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And then eventually, down the line, it'll be seven steps forward, two steps back. And then the next year, it'll be 12 steps forward and just one step back. And then the following year, it'll be 100 steps forward and one step back. Now, there's always probably going to be a step back. 
because we're flesh, we're going to make mistakes and stuff, but you're going to have a lot more steps forward than you're going to have steps back. So keep going, okay? That's the, that's the point here. Third indicator that you've made a deal with sin. Are you a Christian loner? Oh, my goodness, this is a topic we've got to address. COVID has made a bunch of Christian loners uh, for one reason or another. There's an old African saying that says, to travel fast, go alone. To travel far, go with others. Let me say that again. To travel fast, go alone. To travel far, go with others. Hezekiah knew that he needed help in ending this uh, idol worship at these high places. And so he enlisted the Levites. And we see in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 3 and 4, the role that they played. It says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. He began to do the house cleaning. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east. He said, I need some help. This task is too big. I, I can't accomplish this by myself. Hezekiah needed the Levites to accomplish God's purpose for his life. Moses needed Aaron to hold his hand up when it got tired during the battle. Esther needed Uncle Mordecai to give her encouragement to do what God was having her to do, to go there and approach the king. Who is helping you in your spiritual walk? Who is there for you that you can talk things through, that you can get support, that, that you can get encouragement? Who is that person? Who can you go to for help when you're fighting a reoccurring sin? Do you have somebody to say you can pray with? Hopefully, if you're married, it's your spouse. If not, uh, hopefully you've got a friend, you're in a small group. Uh, a lot of times those people <clears throat> that you'll find for support, they're actually found right here in church. Might be the person next to you. Gather friends, advisors to walk alongside you on your spiritual journey. The arrival of COVID-19 has reduced church attendance nationwide 20% on average. 20% uh, attendance uh, now as compared to before COVID. And for some, it's health concerns. For, uh, they don't want to be around crowds of people yet. For some, and I think probably the, the larger uh, percentage... They've just gotten comfortable not going to church. Many are watching online, and uh, I'm thankful that we have online services, but as I said before, an online service is not church. This is church. When you go to a building, and when you volunteer, and when you meet other people, and when you worship together in, in a room uh, all together, this is church. Online service, that's great. It's good to have. For some people, it's a godsend, but it is not meant to be a replacement. I like what the famous C.S. Lewis said uh, as to the reason that he went to church. He said it wasn't because of the songs. He, he thought, actually, that uh, in his day, fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. He says, I, I, I'm not really into the music, he said. It's not because he loved the sermons. My gosh, he could write a better sermon than most of those preachers that he was going to church to hear. And it's not because he liked the people. He, he really didn't. Lewis says, I went to church because he believed if he didn't, he would fall into something he called solitary conceit. Where, you know what, I don't need people. I, I, I got God and I got the Bible and I, I, don't, I just don't need people. He's, he says, I, I just, I have to force myself. I don't want to become that person. 
And maybe for some of you that are listening online, maybe that's what you need, that you don't want to fall into solitary conceit. Are you making it out there? Absolutely, you're making it. But you know what? Uh, there's some people here that might need you. And there's some people here that, that probably could use you. And so something to think about. And then the last indicator that we've struck a deal with compromise is are you a fan in the stands or a player in the fields? You might ask yourself that. Are you a fan in the stands or a player on the field? Hezekiah, these reforms that he instituted, it caused the people to move into action. Second uh, Chronicles 31.1, we see uh, the result of that. It says, now when all this was finished, after he had cleaned out the temple and broken down all the high places, the idols, the stone images, and broke all them down, said, this is wrong. We're not going to mix uh, the unholy with the holy. They went out to the cities of Judah. They broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the ashram, pulled down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin, as well as in Ephraim and Manasseh, until they destroyed them all. And then all the sons of Israel returned to their cities, each to his possession. One man's motivation caused a bunch of other people to get motivated. Hezekiah said, hey, somebody's got to do it. And he was willing to step up. And as he did that, he motivated, he encouraged a whole nation to say, well, we're going to do the same thing. <clears throat> I love the illustration, the comparison of a pro football game. Someone has been described uh, watching a football game. It's been described as watching 22 men who desperately need rest uh, being watched by 50,000 people who desperately need exercise. 22 men who just really could use a break by 50,000 people who could definitely need to sign up to go to the gym. And that's how it is uh, in, the, in the kingdom of God. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, the, the, we're, we're God's last chance to win this world for Christ before he comes back. For some reason, he's tasked us with sharing the gospel. He's given us the responsibility of carrying the gospel torch. If we don't do it, it's not going to get done. And so it's what a great responsibility we have. Have we become a passive fan rather than an active participant in this kingdom? The book of James <clears throat> says this about that, verse 22 of James 1. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Let me give you a little test this morning to see if you're a fan or if you're a player. One, do you volunteer at the church? <clears throat> if you're listening online, you don't attend a Valley Bible Church, do you volunteer at the church that you're at? Are you a volunteer? No? Well, you should. You should. Why? Because if this is your church, it's, it's, this is the body of Christ. And, and the body of Christ is here. Why we meet here, it says, 
Uh, we get together for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the ministry. This is the place where we get spiritually built up. We grow, we get encouraged, we get charged here. Every single person has a play in that. From the parking attendant that you first see when you pull in to the pastor who's delivering the word, everybody is needed. Everything here is designed to encourage you, to grow you, to help you in your walk with the Lord. But if you're not participating, uh, basically you've almost become a drag on the body. You're, you're like a body part that is, is, has paralysis that has to be kind of drug along. And I'm not, try, I'm not condemning anybody that's new here. I'm not condemning anybody whose who schedule doesn't allow right now. But I'm saying if you just said, I'm just going to just kind of just drag along, well, you're, you're a pull. You're not helping. Sometimes you're, you're kind of a weight. You're, you're not helping with the program here. Two, do you tithe and financially support the church? Oh, here he goes talking about money again. Well, yeah, I can talk about money because, you know, Vicky and I tithe, and I can, I can say that. I can talk authoritatively on this, not so much on driving the speed limit. Uh, but I can talk authoritatively on this and not, not have to wink. Do you tithe and financially support the church? Let me just help you with <clears throat> an attitude around tithing and, and even serving volunteering at church. How many of you are just super thankful for what God's done in your life? From, from what he's brought you out of, from what he's brought you through, from what he's given you. I mean, you, 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 you go tuck your kids in bed at night and say, oh, God, thank you for these kids. And you, you look at your wife as, as she's sleeping and say, oh, God, thank you for giving me a good woman. And you look at your house and you look at your cars and you look at your taco that you eat uh, after church and say, God, I'm so thankful, Lord, for all that I have. And I do that, too, and I'm very thankful. And as a result of that, <clears throat> of after being thankful for God for a bunch of years now after serving the Lord, anything God asks me to do is not too big. Anything. I'm serious. Whatever he asks me, if he asks me to do anything, I'll do it. Why? Because I'm, I'm so thankful for what he's given me. I'm so grateful for what I have. I realize if he hadn't come into my life, I don't know where I would be. So as a result of that, when, when, when he says some things in his words to give, to help the church, to volunteer, to be active part of the price, that's easy for me to say, yes, God, I'll do that. That's a small thing. I mean, I'd, I'd do more than that for you, Lord, but if that's all you're asking, I'll do that. Maybe change your mindset of saying, just imagine the Lord saying, hey, will, will you serve here? Will you give and support here? Will you do that for me? Say, yes, Lord, I'll do that for you. Do you put into daily practice the things that you're learning about how to walk with God? If you're doing those things, you're a player. If not, then we want to invite you to strap your helmet on and join the team. Now, let me, let me end. Let me end with this. I, I'm sure I've probably said this here before, but... Uh, if not, it might be the first time for some of you. I was on staff here. I, I went on staff here in 1987. Uh, I got out of professional baseball, and two weeks later, I was on staff here and didn't have a clue, didn't, have a, didn't know what in the world I got myself into, and I don't know what Pastor Ron was thinking, inviting me on. Uh, he saw something I didn't see, and so I fumbled around here for two or three years and trying to figure out what a pastor was. And uh, dealing with new stress, I hadn't felt this stress before. Uh, stress in baseball is one thing, but stress in ministry was another thing. And 
sometimes I wasn't handling it real good. Uh, just the life issues and the problems and just everything was coming up. And I began to find a, a unique way to deal with that stress that was really out of my character. And that is I begin to buy things. I'm not a shopper by nature. Uh, I'm your typical man. Uh, I go into a store. It's like a hunting trip. I identify my prey. I shoot it. I bag it. I pay for it. And I take it home. And I try to do that in five minutes. I'm not, I'm not, you know, my wife can go for an hour and, you know, would you buy nothing? I said, what'd you do? <clears throat> I was just looking around and said, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, that's horrible. You have to look around for an hour and not even buy anything. But I had a little bit of baseball money left. And so I was dealing with stress by, by buying new cars. And all of a sudden I'm in the stressful time and said, I need to change. <clears throat> I need to do something. I get, oh man. I said, I know what I need. I need a little sports car. Yeah, I'm going to be cool, Pastor Doug. I'm get me a little, you know, little French beret hat and, and little tight jeans. I'm just going to be a, so I need me a little sports car. So I bought a 280Z. And I'm a truck guy. If you know me, I'm a truck guy. I'm a Bakersfield Oakey. I'm a truck guy. And, and so I bought this 280Z, and I pulled up in the parking lot. Yeah. But I noticed something that I couldn't sit up straight in it. The, the roof was too low. So I'd, I'd have to kind of ride, you know, like low ride, like, it was kind of hurt my back. This is awkward. You know, I tried to say, oh, I can't. You know, so I'm kind of in this weird thing. And that lasted two weeks. And, man, oh, gosh, I'm going to have back issues. And so I sold it two weeks later, lost a bunch of money, and went back to my truck and then hit another rough spot and bought another car. This time I said, you know what? Hey, I, I know what I need. Man, I got two young kids now. I, I need to become soccer dad. I'm going to get a minivan. I'm going to buy a minivan. Yeah, I'm going to be that guy. And so... All of a sudden, I went from the skinny jeans to just nerd jeans, and I'm going to be just that guy. I'm going to just be soccer dad and, and, and I bought a minivan. But I didn't realize that the minivan that I bought was a mid-engine. It was a Nissan mid-engine minivan. You may remember those. Engine was seriously right in the middle of the van. And we were, I didn't know that when I bought it. We were driving one day, and I told Vicky, turn that air up. It's summertime, Vicky, turn that air up. My gosh, it's hot in here. It's cranking. I said, it's not working. What I didn't realize is that, that all that heat from the engine was coming right up, just coming right up in the middle of the car. I said, this is crazy. I said, my gosh, I bought, not only did I buy a minivan, I bought a sauna. It has its own sauna. Comes, yeah. What was I thinking? I said, plus, oh, I, I'm driving a minivan. What are you doing, Doug? So two weeks later, sold that. Lost a bunch of money. And I think I did a couple others. See, when we try... To be someone that God didn't create us to be, things just go awry. That's what was happening to the people in Hezekiah's day. They were, they were mixing God with the world. They were mixing light with darkness. And they weren't good believers, and they weren't even good sinners. They weren't even good, didn't even sin good. Their sinner friends said, man, you're, <clears throat> you don't know how to sin. Get out of here. The Bible exhorts us, cautions us, warns us of trying to mix the holy with the unholy. Second Corinthians chapter 6, I'll end with this, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them, 
and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. <clears throat> what is it that you need to let go of? What is it that is tainting, like the sand that would taint the salt at the Dead Sea? What is it that is taking away your flavor, your influence? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to ask God to, to remove from you? What steps do you need to take to say, God, you know what? I do not want this in my life. You know what holiness means? It just means to be set aside. It just means to be set aside. God says, I want all of you. I want every single part of you. I want to bless your socks off. I want to use you, but I can't use you if you're mixed. I can't use you if you have two loves. I can't, I can't uh, fulfill my plan for your life as long as you're holding on to this. And so today is an opportunity. Let's learn from Hezekiah. Let's learn from the mistakes of these, ki uh, these kings of trying to mix the holy with the unholy. It just doesn't work. It's not a winning formula. Let me pray this for you. Lord, we are so prone, God, to want to justify our actions. We are so apt to just adopt attitudes about certain sins. Oftentimes just saying, I'm, I'm just not going to deal with this. I'm just going to, I'm going to serve God, but I'm also going to entertain this, this sin. And so, Father, I, I just pray, God, that, Lord, as we ponder this message, that, God, you just speak to the hearts of the people that are here. Show them any area in their life that they've compromised in. Show them any area of your life, God, that, that you're saying, let me have this. Let go of this. I have something better for you. I have something greater. I want to take you here, but I can't until you let go of that there. Oh, God, I, I just pray, Father, that, Lord, you would just uh, do that in our life, God. I pray that. Father, I pray you bless these people today, Father. I pray, God, that, Lord, anybody that needs healing, that you would heal their physical bodies. I pray that anybody that needs work, you'd give them work. I pray that anybody that needs to be encouraged and reminded, God, that you love them, that they would just know today, God, that, that you love them, that you care for them. And so, Lord, I pray that for them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Always good to see you. Uh, we'll see you next time I'm in town. God bless. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our love.